Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. It is Saturday, December 17th, 2016, and we're here with Monty Montgomery. And Monty, by the way, the last two Saturdays of the year are going to be Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. Probably not the best time to be holding a call. So I think I'll leave that up to you. Yeah, probably not. So why don't we make this like uh, the last call of the year, and we'll take uh, two weeks off. Okay, so on that note, I want to raise a question. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm wondering how the Santa Claus myth got tangled up with the elf myth. The only two things the only two things that I see that the or the only thing I see is those two have in common is they both originated in Scandinavia. How do you know they're a myth in Scandinavia? <laughs> read your history, read your mythology. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think you're gonna be getting coal in your stocking this year. Uh probably. Uh, that's all right. I give as good as I get. See, I don't, I don't question it. I, I, just, I just don't participate in that way. I don't end up with bad things happening. Uh, like coal in my stocking, but I don't have a fireplace. So <laughs> how's he going to break into my house? You know, hmm. <laughs> so did you have anything that you wanted to talk about tonight? Nothing specific. I was just waiting for questions. Oh. Okay. Well, does anybody have any questions? Underdog says I could use some coal. Mm hmm. Well, mouth off to Santa and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, as long as we're going to wait. I'll share yeah. a story with you. Huh? Is this a war story? No, this is actually a different kind of story. Oh, well, make it quick, because I think Genevieve's here. Ah, well, <clears throat> this little town where I grew up, uh, there was like 100 logging trucks a day went through the town. <clears throat> this little town where I grew up. That's Genevieve. Hold on. Go ahead. And... Um, they always got off about, and the main street cut diagonally across the highway, which ran right through the middle of town. Uh-huh. And the main street was about three blocks long. It had one block on one side of the highway uh, with a bluff at the end of it and two blocks on the other side, and it ended in a bluff. And there was about three taverns, 
which is quite a few for that small a town, but that's where all the loggers, most of the loggers went when they got off about two or three in the afternoon. This little town could only afford one constable with a used patrol car. Yeah. Uh, kind of like Mayberry. You're right. <laughs> Just one driver got up early, so he didn't want to go drinking alone, so he thought he'd kill some time while his buddies got in. And uh, in those days, they used choker chains. They didn't use cables to okay. bind their loads with. And he took one of his choker chains and he uh, tied it on the back of the truck and he just drove up and down, back and forth on Main Street till he got the constable's attention. Okay. And the constable pulled him over. He wasn't going to excite him or anything. He was going to let him know he's dragging a chain. And, uh, by the way, this is a true story. Okay. And um, <clears throat> so he pulls him over and goes up and he says, do you know you're dragging one of your chains? And the driver said, yeah, I know I'm dragging one of my chains. And that perplexed the constable. And he says, why are you dragging a chain up and down Main Street? And the driver looked at him like he was peculiar. And he said, have you ever tried pushing one? (laughs) (laughs) That's it. He just wanted to play a joke on the constable, huh? There you go. <laughs> oh, oh, um, Genevieve has a question. Really? Why am I not surprised? <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hi, sweetie. Hello, Hi. your genevieve <laughs> Hey, don't you love small towns? <laughs> yeah, I do. Now you know why it turned out the way I did. I grew up in an environment like that. Yeah, really? Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) And it's five degrees there where you are, Monty? Uh, Yes, it is. It never gets five degrees on the coast. No, thank heaven. Although it has gotten pretty cold. Uh, not, Not yet really here. It's just freezing a little above. But oh. I lived in Montana as a kid for a couple of years, and it got to 40 below. And that's the average. That's the average up in the Arctic when I was up there. It was about 40 below without any wind. Yeah, that was without any wind. And then, of course, <laughs> anyway, so much for the weather. <laughs> um, guess what? I have a question regarding the uh, notice and precipice. Uh, notice. <laughs> Okay, notice and press be on what? Uh, for the schedule of fees and charges. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Uh, I've come up with um, a short personal letter, as you suggested, and um, and I was wondering if I could read it to you, and just because I want to make sure I haven't said anything I shouldn't say, All because right. maybe not knowing proper wording or something. Is that okay with you? Yeah, it's, but, you know, like I've told people time and again, is you know, you don't have to play Perry Mason with this stuff. Just use ordinary language. Well, I think I have, but I just want to make sure I, I didn't say anything I shouldn't say. <laughs> well, you wouldn't you wouldn't offend me, and most attorneys you wouldn't offend, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I could if I wanted to. <laughs> well, they got a pretty thick hide, and so do I. Well, that's good, yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so here's how it reads. Um, this letter constitutes my notice and precipice to you of the schedule of fees and charges annexed here too. You now have personal knowledge of same. Please distribute it to your subordinates and to all other interested parties and update any and all relevant databases. I also wish to make known to you the following. I am God the Creator's creation and live by God's law to love one another and do no harm. At all times I claim my unalienable natural rights endowed by my Creator, which rights are acknowledged and preserved in the Bill of Rights of the original Constitution for the United States of America. And I also rely upon the rights and protections guaranteed under Uniform Commercial Codes, Common Equity Law, Laws of Admiralty, and Commercial Liens and Levies. Uh, you can delete most of that last portion. That's right. all covered. That's all covered by the uh, Constitution. Okay, so I'll just, I'll just get, I'll just stop at Constitution for the United States of America. Period. Yep. Yep. All that right. covers it all. All right. That's kind of what I thought, but just in case, um, I abide by all man-made laws that are in accordance with the aforementioned Constitution which laws can be summed up by saying there is no violation of any law unless there is a victim consisting of a natural, living, flesh-and-blood man or woman who has been damaged in body or property. I am an American state national domiciled on the soil of the geographically defined organic state of Oregon and am a non-resident alien and transient foreigner with respect um, okay what you're doing here Genevieve is you're making an argument it's in, and it's inappropriate okay. all you want to do is all you want to do with this is uh, just say uh, this letter constitutes my notice uh, to you of the um, <clears throat> my schedule of fees and charges that next year too and you are hereby directed to um, inform your subordinates and associates, whatever. Okay. That's pretty much it. You don't have to get into all the other stuff because that, you, you're creating an argument for court. Oh, okay. Great. Uh-huh. I just, I'd rather keep it short and sweet. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is, this is like, uh, I wouldn't even take a paragraph to do this because when you do this, you have to remember you're operating in commercial law with this. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, but that's also under or subordinate to contract law. What you're issuing is a unilateral contract. What I mean by that, you, do you know the difference? Well, Bilater- bilateral one and unilateral. One party and then two right. parties. Okay. <clears throat> now, another example of a unilateral contract where there's only one party involved, would be like uh, when you offer a reward to somebody to find your dog. Oh, okay. So they don't have to... Yeah, I get it, yeah. That's a unilateral contract. You don't need their agreement. All right. So I'm going to get rid of all of that. 
Well, you know, don't throw it away. You might need it someday for a court argument, but <laughs> you don't need it. You don't need it for this. <laughs> oh, excellent. Okay. Um, oh well. Um, okay. So then, at the end of the the last paragraph, reads. You are sworn to your oath of office, and I accept your oath of office and your responsibility to hold up, uphold my rights at all times. If um, no? Yeah, you could put that in there. Right. <clears throat> and then you're letting the la- them know what you, you know, you're letting them know what you expect. All right. That's so, kind of like a ca- caveat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I am trying to be, you know, warn them. And, and so the last sentence reads, if I'm interfered with. So I guess I shouldn't put that in because... No, that's a threat. Okay. Um, All right. You don't want to um, strong arm them or threaten them. You just simply say, this is the way it is. You know, it's kind of like I told people, um, you know, with the schedule of fees and charges in place, I don't care if they want to deprive me of my liberty or my rights. They want to throw me in jail, that's fine. I don't know of anything else I could be doing that would make me a thousand dollars a minute. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I will end with thank you very much in advance for your cooperation and attention to this matter. Sure. Okay. That's nice and polite. Okay. Um, should I? You know, you said to make this. Uh, this is a personal letter, and um, should I put personal on the envelope? No, just send it to their names properly okay. spelled. All right. um, you you can put their office on there if you want, but use title case. Okay. Yeah, that's what you said before. And one other thing, she said distribute to your officers or whoever. Don't you mean um, notice them? Um. Notice or inform, whatever. There you go. Yeah. But you have to remember, what you're doing here is you're imposing personal accountability through their oath. Okay, so you know, I'll they, just inform. You know, they try to say, well, you know, I I didn't take the oath or, or um, you know, they have immunity or they, you know, on and on and on, all the different things they try to use. Um, you can just say, well, if it's not a personal accountability obligation, how do you explain that your signature is the only thing, you and the uh, witness are the only signatures on that oath? <laughs> I don't see the Department of Revenue uh, as a party to that oath. I don't see anybody else. All I see as far as signatures is yours and the witness. So I guess that makes you accountable for what you just signed. You have to understand that oath is between them and the people. And most of your state statutes, most of your state um, law, as well as federal, basically say that they can't enter the office, they cannot perform the duties of the office until they take the oath first. So <clears throat> their entry into the into the office is conditioned on the oath and they, the, whether or not they remain in that office is conditioned on the oath. 
that's kind of like uh, Article 3 on the judges, you know. It says, they say they're immune. Well, no, they're not immune. They have to take an oath like everybody else, Article 6 oath, and they enjoy their tenure in office during good behavior. Well, it tells you right there they're not immune. This behavior can get them tossed out on their butt. It should. <laughs> yeah, it can if you do it can if you do it right. Uh, last week and or the week before, you and Paul and uh, were talking about um, power of attorney, and I was wondering if I if I were to add a sentence in this into this notice and press if you know, would, uh about let's see what is you suggested saying. Something. Oh, oh! I had that sentence lined up, and now I can't find it. Oh, oh, foo! Well, now what? Okay, well, let me go to this other one. I'm sorry. Okay, this should show it. Uh, this was what I was doing just before dinner, so so it doesn't yeah. surprise me that I've I've lost it somehow. I'll come up with it later, probably. Um, what was it in relation to? Well, it was in in relation to the uh, state thinks that they have power of attorney unless you claim power, that you are have your own power of attorney. So they have a general ex, uh, power of attorney and that I should file an exclusive POA. So I was, I was thinking about adding in a sentence. Um, well, you have a general powers of attorney. You have limited powers of attorney. Uh, it depends on the application. Oh, well, okay. Well, I was thinking that that if I just put in some general, um, let's see. Oh, here it is. I do not want you representing me for anything, and you cannot do so by tacit procuration or any other mechanisms. Is there oh. some way I can work that into this and be able to send it off to the legislature, which is what I think. Um, you could do it a lot simpler than that. You can simply say, I do not authorize you to act as my procurator under any circumstances. Oh, great. And I can add That's, that into this letter that will go out want. generally? If you, yeah, if you want. All right. I like that. I, I just, I don't want to be sending, a, doing, you know, mailing after mailing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lazy that way. Hmm. Okay, well, well we could be more diplomatic and say it's more economical. Oh, okay. Thrifty. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thrifty too. Yeah. Okay, well, well, that takes care of those questions. I about that. Um, I'm just about ready to hit the streets again in a couple of weeks, and of course, one of the uh. thing, things that's on my mind. Uh, since I haven't been driving for so darn long, and I'm just about back on the road now, um, 
you said something about um, well, you talked about if you get arrested um, mm-hmm. first of all, you said if you're at the you know street side and you say, "I do not give you permission to touch my body." What if you said I, uh, my body or any of my any of my property and that would have well no you're you're in a uh, much better position than I or tab would be in because you're a woman if you say I did not give you permission to touch my body that opens up a whole bunch of doors on what you could charge them with if they do and that would be different for you and tad that would be like if you could be make it a sexual assault you could I mean you could do all kinds of stuff with it um, well, you guys could do that too. Uh, not me. <laughs> All right. Good God, man, he's not quill. <laughs> so, go ahead. Well, I think, I think. Yeah, uh, you could say that, and then you can also say. Oh, and by the way, I tried thousand dollars a minute <laughs> for, for deprivation of my property and my rights. So when somebody comes to tow the car away, uh, it, it, <laughs> I'm going to be gone. So how do I how do I protect my my car? Well, they can't tow the car unless the officer tells them to. Okay. So the officer has to pay it. And then, and then <laughs> you know, then you do a, a standard collection process oh, um, okay. you know, on that side of it, or you could charge them with grand theft auto. I mean, you can do a whole bunch of things. I, I really so don't want to. It's after the fact. You've been damaged, et cetera, et cetera. So you have a lot more options. Another thing that I've heard, um, Tad would be familiar with this, is um, that if I were to be hauled off in the, by the cops, that that I should say, take me to the nearest magistrate. Have you uh, ever done that, or do you have an opinion of that? I've never done it, but you could. It is appropriate. It's kind of like a... Um, offshoot from a habeas corpus. Okay. Is there anything else? Oh, like so if if they if they take me in and they they book me and I'm put in a cell, are there things that I should think of do then to protect myself in terms of entanglements and you know, whatever? As well, you can tell, I've never been arrested like this. I, w- I was arrested in a different situation, but not right. this kind of situation. Okay, well, if you get arrested, they have to uh, do a, <clears throat> I think in Oregon they combine the uh, probable cause hearing with the arraignment. Um, in other words, they inform you of your rights, tell you what you're charged with, do you understand? Um, and at that point is where you say, I do not understand, in other words, I don't stand under is what you're saying. Okay. I do not understand statutory due process, and I do not know how to answer your question. 
Now, if they, ask for a, if they ask for a plea, I mean, this really screws them up. Um, <laughs> I like that. And um, they ask for a plea, which may come later, um, if they don't release you before then. <laughs> the, um, they ask for a plea, then you say, I stand on the presumption of innocence of wrongdoing. And by the way, I charge $1,000 a minute for deprivation of my rights. Well, that they should whisk me right out of court, <laughs> shouldn't they? Um, they better. <laughs> they're going to be a lot. They're probably going to be a lot harder on you. Oh, well, and and they, they want to test you. They want to. They want to make an example of you, so this kind of crap doesn't come up anymore. They they. I will agree. They will test you, but they're not going to push that too hard. Because well, it is collectible. If they got any ounce of sense, they're going to know that, you know, you put everybody on notice um, in both ways, public notice and, and directly personal knowledge. Um, and then you've informed them again. It's just like the cop tells you what your rights are at the scene, and then the judge repeats that when you get into the court. So you can do the same thing. You say, well, thank you for that information. Now, I'm, I'm going to inform you. I charge $1,000 a minute for deprivation of my constitutionally secured rights. You've been noticed. Okay. And now, when you were talking with Ronald a couple of weeks ago, you asked him if he uh, signed something. And he um, hadn't. He had. He had only written some kind of a, I don't know, threat. Qualifier. No, he he signed without prejudice, or uh, no, he signed with a social security number. No, he just he wrote, uh, "I reserve my rights" or something like that. That was his signature. He just wrote a phrase. He didn't put his name or anything. Okay. Yeah. So, what um, is the best thing? Typically, to do? well, you could do that yourself, they may not understand it uh, if you're dealing with local people. They're not the brightest in the world. Um, nor would I expect them to be with all those thousands and thousands of statutes on the books. Um, but, yeah, you could do it that way. I mean, that typically that's going to go on an, an own recognizance form. It's a release form. What would you suggest is the best thing to write, though? Um, what I always find is non-assumptive per item sinans persona ficta. And See, that's the, only, what you the only way they can come at you um, under police power is they have to come at you through the fiction. And if you accept, and if you sign with that qualification that I accept no liability by or through a fictitious entity that has a name that sounds the same as mine when spoken. You just you just rip the rug right out from under them because they have no other way to approach you. A fiction, that's why they do it. The fiction doesn't have any rights. You do. That's why you tell them, I charge $1,000 a minute for deprivation of my rights. You have rights. A fiction doesn't.
Okay. And another thing uh, is um, you said that the other thing is that usually when they check me in, I always carry on my person, and this gets into evidence, one lawful money silver dollar, which Mm -hmm. means I can actually extinguish one dollar of debt, and that makes me a sovereign. And I'd really appreciate it if you would talk a little bit more about that. One lawful. You're the one that brought that up in the chat, huh? Probably. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, that works if you're dealing with a state court because the states are still bound by Article 1, Section 10. What about a county court? Same thing. They're an instrumentality of the state. So you're saying it wouldn't work in a federal court? Is no. that what you're? No, it wouldn't. the The states are under the the states have the disability under Article One, Section Ten, and the operative word is make. They can't compel you to tender anything but gold and silver coin, and to do that, it has to be in circulation. And they're not set up to handle it anyway. You could even offer them a gold and silver coin, and they can't take it because they're not set. Their system isn't set up to handle it. Their system isn't set up to handle extinguishment of debt. Yeah, I really like that information that you gave us a few weeks ago, or maybe a couple months ago now about that. I think that's really interesting, but I'm not seeing how this works when you are um, booked or uh, in front of a judge? Well, the word will get passed that you had lawful money, even if it's only $1. And that tells them they're going to, they have to assume that you're going to offer to extinguish a dollar's worth of debt, which they're not authorized or set up to handle anymore. And then, and, and there's no way they can legally argue it, because the two questions that have never, out of all the money money cases that have gone before the Supreme Court, the two primary ones are uh, Jilliard versus Greenman, and that's essentially where the court said that the people, Article One, Section Ten, is binding on the states. The people and the federal government can use whatever they want for money. The states are restricted. And uh, so the states cannot compel, they can't make you tender anything but gold and silver coin. They can voluntarily accept it if you offer it voluntarily. They can't compel you. So, um, and then along came, that created a lot of confusion because there was the states weren't even mentioned in Joyard. That was eighteen twenty. State that name of the case again, please. It's Juilliard, J-U-L-L-I-A-R-D versus Greenman. Greenman? Yeah, I think it was a diversity case. Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania was one of the parties and else. I don't remember now. 
1884 case. Four months later, in 1884, the same Supreme Court went back in with a California case called Hager, H-A-G-A-R, versus Land Reclamation District 108. And they they clarified Jilliard with that case. And they said that acts of Congress making notes of the United States a legal tender do not apply to involuntary contributions in the nature of taxes or assessments, that covers a lot of ground, including fines, um, exacted under state law. So they straightened everything out with the Hager case. And But the two questions that have never actually been put correctly in front of the Supreme Court on this issue is uh, what specific article, section, and clause of the Constitution uh, enables or empowers the states to do what the Constitution expressly forbids them from doing. One of the favorite arguments of attorney generals, state attorney generals is, well, they have to do what, they have to use whatever the federal government provides. Oh. And that that is the way you handle that. You say, well, okay, what what part of the Constitution enables the states to do something that the Constitution expressly forbids them from doing? And, and by the way, what part of the Constitution empowers Congress to require or authorize to state uh, the states to do something that the Constitution expressly prohibits them from doing? It isn't there. So carrying that one uh, silver dollar shows them basically that you might be trouble. You can screw up their uh, screw up their books with it. What you can do? Because if you make an offer, then they if they don't accept it, which they can't, then that's the end of that. Is that the way it works? Yep. You offered to extinguish at least a portion of the debt, and they refused. So if I were, uh, be if I've been booked, and I've spent a night in jail, and they're gonna, are they gonna let me go on my own recognizance? But I'm only supposed only to- if you no, if you OR, you're gonna sign an OR release agreement. That's like a contract. But I don't want to sign anything, do I? Well, you can. Just qualify your signature. Put mm-hmm. by as armis, or you can put the uh, non-assumpted, or you can put, you know, you can qualify your signature any way you want. I would recommend you use the non-assumpted so they can't, because that's, like I said, that's the only way they can come at you is through the fiction. And if you're not going to accept any liability through a fiction, where does that leave them? Okay. Okay, so I can actually, if I wanted to, I could sign it and then put that in, and then I'm basically home free. Uh, you've protected yourself, yeah. Okay. 
and they're going to know that you can come back on them, especially if you've got your schedule of fees and charges in there. Well, that's going to happen this week. And by the way, you left the language in there of lawful money in the United States? Yes. Well, guess what? You have other evidence in your purse that you traffic in lawful money. You got a silver dollar. Yeah, since you said that, I pulled out a silver dollar, and I've been carrying it with me, and David's been carrying his with him for years now. So, yeah. so they know that uh, you're not bullshitting them with that schedule of fees and charges because you're carrying lawful money. Right. Oh, if you have that silver dollar in a plastic cover case. Yeah. Is that a good that, thing, Tad? I'm asking Monty. Oh, excuse What's me. What's that? What if you put a little plastic um, coin case around it to protect it? Is that? Yeah, that's, that's how I carry mine. Okay. Uh, would it make any difference if you didn't have it in plastic? except that it would get worn. Right. Well, that's all there is. It'd just get worn. I lived in Montana when I was a kid, and they still had silver dollars in circulation there. (laughs) And they were so heavy. I know. Well, you and I are of an age then, because when I was a kid, they still had uh, circulating silver dollars. In fact, uh, we went down to Nevada to one of the casinos, and that's what they used in the slot machines. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Try doing that now. Hell, yeah, we'll take it. Good boy. Well, I think that covers uh, the questions for that. Uh, I, I'm Now I'm going to go back to something um, that you mentioned quite a while ago, and that was, oh, in yeah, in your book, uh-huh. you said, something about don't attempt to employ this affidavit unless you have restored and perfected your sovereign status. And then you continue. Okay, which which affidavit are we talking about? Well, I don't know, but my question is, how do we know when we've perfected our sovereign status? Um, you know, the best gauge for that is when you start acting and behaving like one. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, that sounds like an oversimplification, but it really boils down to that. Because sovereignty um, begins as a state of mind. And sovereignty, if you're going to be a sovereign, that means you also have to be responsible not only for your own conduct, but for those around you. And how would that show up in this reality of being responsible for other people's conduct? Um <clears throat> By being firm but polite. In other words, you don't get in their face and chew their ass out even though they may deserve it. You'd be polite, you'd be courteous, but you'd be firm. This is the way it's going to be. 
seems to be pretty much how I operate. Although Good. I don't have to be, I don't have to be firm with very many people. Usually, we end up laughing. Oh, sure. That's always the best way. Um, <laughs> that's the best way to educate. Okay. Well, I'm. I think I'm. I'm doing okay on that. What about documents? Uh, um, notifying um, people. Well, there's lots of things you could do over time because it's all going to cost money. Um, one of the things I did was when I was in Oregon is I went down to the Secretary of State's office and I've already covered the uh, vessel thing in the handbook. Um, I did that with a, a public disclosure request and they were they complied. There was no U.S. No US vessel registered or under U.S. registry with any of my name variations in all caps. So I got confirmation of that, and they are the custodian of those records. And then I went down to the uh, Secretary of State's office, and I got the uh, um, Corporations Division to certify, this was, uh, they had to certify each name, and they charge a fee on each one of those. I think there's about, what, 14 variations? Last yeah. name, first name, well, last name, for, something like that. Yeah, last name, first name, last name, first name, middle initial, last name. You know, when you add them all up, there's about, about 15 or 16 variations on the all caps name. So I went down and I had them uh, check their records and certify that there was no, uh, and I had to do it separately. I, there was, they had One was there was no foreign or domestic corporation by any of those names. And then there was no DBA or partnerships or anything else under those names in all caps. And I made quite a wad of paper with seals on them. And then I got them to do something that I doubt anyone else would probably be able to do, is I had them staple them all together under an apostille. Oh. And in Oregon, they did an apostille for you? Huh? They did an apostille for you in Oregon? Yeah. Because they don't do that anymore. Um, no, apostilles well, in Oregon, from what I understand. Yeah, you can get an apostille. It's just you have to be careful. They're going to ask you which country um, is it for. And I always take the viewpoint that since we're under English common law, I just tell them England. Oh. Or you can tell them Canada or whatever. But I, I, I prefer England because that's the source of our common law in this country. So <laughs> I'm not technically lying to them. Oh. Well, I had heard about, oh, six years ago that they didn't do apostilles here, so I didn't even try to have one done. I went up to Washington and got something apostilled. Oh, well, um, they'll... they'll you know, after the, some of the stuff that I've pulled and some of the people I've worked with, we pulled down there in Oregon, 
uh, they've they've made some changes, so mm. I'm not sure where to start. Oh, thanks, Monty. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to remember these people uh, aren't stupid. They learn as much from us as we learn from them. <laughs> oh boy! Thanks so, to a number of us, they they found out where all the loopholes were, and they plugged a lot of them. <laughs> so thanks. I have I have a. Uh, Something I want to share. Now listen to this. What? Uh, Genevieve. So we had a conversation a few weeks ago about putting up a no trespass sign on yes. your property. Yes. And Monty, I think you made the comment like, oh, wow, UPS and FedEx will not go on there. They respect that. Well, I talked to a FedEx guy. And I said, well, if you guys see a sign that says no trespass, uh, what would you do? He says, oh, well, we'll probably just go up there anyway because we assume that you ordered it. Oh, that makes it easier. Um, Yeah, in some locations they probably would. The more rural you get, the less formal it is. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Speaking of the no trespass sign, uh, is there a particular size that it needs to be? It just has to be. It's kind of like the UCC. It simply has on the definition of notice. Under UCC and definition of notice, it has to be conspicuous. That's the operative word. So they're painted on your driveway. Yeah, so so there wouldn't also be, uh, it has to be posted at a certain height. Um, generally about the same height as a mailbox. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Good. Now, you know that I have uh, returned my property tax statement addressed to the all-caps name. I did that process with them. But I was wondering, meanwhile, I'm still accepting mail from the phone company and the electric company that's addressed to the all-caps name. Isn't that kind of uh, inconsistent? Um, One way you can get around that is um, have somebody else who's willing to stick their neck out open those envelopes. Technically speaking, they can be charged with a crime because they're opening somebody else's mail. But you want to be able to say truthfully, under a lie detector, you have never opened any mail addressed to the all capital letter name. Oh. And I would only do that with the things you need to open, like a a phone bill or... um, Because if you don't pay it, they're going to shut you off. So... Uh, that would probably be four or five different bills that you may have to open that way. Just get somebody else to open them for you. Okay, I guess I'll do that. And then you can truthfully say thereafter, I have never, ever opened a... Well, never, ever? Well, (laughs) okay, okay. I am but not in the practice of opening someone else's mail. <laughs> yeah, you could say it that way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, 
I could say once I learned the importance of or, or the difference of all caps name and my name, I stopped. I could say that. Right. Well, but you're, you know, it's inappropriate. Now, I know of one guy, what he did was he wrote letters, uh, proper title case names and all of that, and uh, to the uh, power company. Now, he always would go down to the, the uh, office and, and ask him over the counter how much was owing on the account, and he would pay it. But as far as what was sent to him in the mail, he wouldn't open it because it was to the all-caps name. And he had notified them, I don't know, three or four times of how to properly address him. And um, so what he started doing then was um, he got these boxes, uh, and every time he got a, a uh, bill in all caps from the power company, he'd take the unopened envelope, make a photocopy of it, the outside of it, then he'd take the envelope and put it in the box with four bricks and put just enough postage on it, not enough postage, but enough that they had to deliver it and collect on the other end. <laughs> um, and he did that two or three times with the power company. <laughs> and I think it finally stopped uh, when one time he did that. He, um, what you have to do is you put the postage on there. You have to just, you know, if it's five cents or whatever it is, if there's some postage, they have to deliver it and they can uh, collect on the other end. No so kidding. We, so what he did was he put, I don't know, 25 cents or something in postage on the box, properly addressed, and then took it down to the post office and just set it on the counter and walked out. So I guess <laughs> that was okay for two or three times, and then they, I guess uh, something happened or they, whatever, and they called the bomb squad down. Oh, no. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, you can get as there's really no limits on this as long as you don't harm anybody. Oh. It's um, you can get as creative as you want to get with this stuff. Well, once I once I understand it better, then I'd like to be able to be creative. Until then, I um, I'm going to err on the side of caution. Well, I don't blame you for that. It's just the biggest thing you have to ingrain indelibly into your um, thinking process is differentiating between the fictions and the reality. Yeah. And one example of that I've used before, you've heard me use it, um, is when they want you to sign a like a traffic citation. I know they don't do that in Oregon, or maybe they do now, but they never used to. <coughs> but in other locations, they do. And you say, what are you going to do to me if I don't sign this contract? And they say, well, it's not a contract. And you say, well, if it's not a contract, why do you need my signature on it? Why don't you sign it? There, you're differentiating between fiction and fact. Do you have a book that you can recommend that, other than your own, 
No. No. <laughs> I know where you go with that. No, I don't. No. Gosh. Um, on the on the larger issues, yeah, uh, you could get um, that book that's being put out by uh, Judge Anna out of Alaska. Yes, uh huh. Yeah, you could get that one. That that addresses larger issues, and it doesn't get down to you know everyday, day to day things like I tend to do. Yes. Yeah, I like uh, I, I liked her book very much. I thought it was really good. So you have read it? Oh yeah. Oh good. Yeah, we've been following her for oh years now. She was one of the first uh, people that we started tuning into. Right. Well, she reminds me of of uh, some of the old uh, teachers when I was growing up. But one thing I've noticed about uh, she she explains the theory, she explains the history, but what's kind of missing is the, uh, okay, so now we know what the problem is, how do you deal with it? In other words, the practical application end of it. Well, that's why I like your book so well. Right. Be- because they deal with the practical end of it. Um, and I well understand that because I'm, I also understand that uh, people in this country have been for years now, decades, hmm. have been deliberately dumbed down, and I don't blame them for that, but I have to take it into account. Um, so you have to keep it fairly simple and on a on a uh, day-to-day reality Basis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Hey, we got somebody else that's waiting. Okay. Okay. So. <laughs> all right. I guess that that's it for now. <laughs> Three weeks. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. You can be in jail by then. <laughs> I'm jonesing already. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hang on and right. see if maybe there's more time after others. All right, Genevieve, thank All you. Right. Uh, right. Let's see, Cheyenne826, you're next. Cheyenne8, Cheyenne B26, or 826. Oh, I'm, yes, Go I'm ahead. sorry. I muted myself out. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hi. Um, I have a question as far as um, the mortgage lien slash debt collector. Uh, apparently, they cannot do a, um, they are not, what they end up doing is that throwing either unofficial copies into the record, and they do not supply the original. So, therefore, the second um, dairy of evidence, they must have a person to come forth to context of the lien or deed. Is that correct? And then also, oh. it cannot be a copy. Well, okay, you're getting into court rules there as far as copies and originals. But, um, yeah, I mean, a, a fiction cannot um, articulate itself. It takes a real person to articulate. Um, Correct. They end up having the uh, lawyer to represent themselves. Okay, well, that's fine. It doesn't matter who it is as long as it's a real living, breathing person. 
Um, well, it never is. You're always dealing with the fiction. Right. Now, um, this is this thing I'm working on right now, I was requested to do a, a thing on the IRS tax liens and how to deal with them. The, the way you deal with these is the same way you deal with mortgages, the way you deal with credit card debt. I mean, you deal with all of it the same way. Um, right. They're cousins. I always said they were cousins, but I had so many people disagree with me, but go ahead. Yeah. So, um, the what, one of the things I put in here is, so long as you keep the written dialogue going, in other words, you, you write back and you write to them, you communicate, you don't withdraw. You'd be very overt, be very bold as brass, polite, but bold as brass. And as long as you keep the written dialogue going, you are provably demonstrating a good faith effort to settle the matter, which screws up the collection time machine process and acts as an estoppel on any court action being filed. Correct. You always want to stay in honor. You want to um, uh, have them verify whatever they're coming after you. Have them verify and 10 out of 10, they cannot verify, nor can they produce the uh, plaintiff, correct? Well, yeah, you can get into that, <clears throat> and you should cover that at least in part. But on option one, if they actually give you a certified total amount that they're demanding, what I've got for option one here, I'm reading this from what I've just wrote. Okay, would that be the bill of uh, particulars? Well, it can operate like one, okay, um, but you don't call it that. No, I know. I messed up there. Oh. All right, so option number one, if the total amount demanded is expressed as nothing more than a string of numerical characters, such as 7,422.65, without any other reference, as to what the numbers relate to. This is often the case with uh, county property tax statements. Then you can send them a bag containing 7,423 jelly beans or a box containing 7,423 toothpicks. They can keep the change along with a letter containing the following statement. This is in response to the above referenced notice of claim and demand for, quote, 7,422.65 against my property. Having, um, and that can be against your rights, too. Um, having diligently searched the statutes at large of the United States of America, as well as relevant controlling judicial determinations on the subject, I can find no law which compels me to exchange my property whether corporeal or incorporeal, for choses in action, that's C-H-O-S-E-S, choses, for choses in action which have no fixed or assured uniform value within the purview of the Weights and Measures Clause of Article 1 of the Supreme Law of the Land. The Weights and Measures Clause says they, have, they were, were commanded to fix the standard. Okay. That's also the same clause of uh, coin money, incidentally. Okay, what's your opinion 
I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. All right. Now we're getting down to the juicy part of this letter that goes with the jelly beans. <clears throat> okay. Since no choice of medium of exchange was specified for this transaction, I assume the choice is mine to make. As an exercise of good faith and in the interest of fair play, please find enclosed herewith 7,423 jelly beans in full satisfaction of the above reference claim and demand. You may keep the change. Demand, that's the 0.65. Demand is hereby made that your organization execute a notice of full satisfaction and accord and place the same into the official records of the county and state forthwith. Additionally, demand is hereby made that your organization notify any and all credit reporting agencies and databases of said full satisfaction in the court without undue delay. Um, now, you can pick up the satisfaction in court. Those are stock forms. You can get them through a stationary store in most states. Um, but I've got a note here. Although the IRS most likely has their own form for this, nearly all the states provide a stock form, you know, fill in the blank sort of thing, for satisfaction and accord, usually available through stationary stores. Remember, all property and the transactions relating to it fall under state law. Might even pick up the stock form from the local stationery store, fill it out for them, and send it along with your cover letter. So all they have to do is sign it and record it into the county record. Now, um, I just use jelly beans and, as an example. And and when, yeah, I get that. But when you do that, then the lien, the bogus lien, will be lifted from the property tax or from any IRS lien that's. Miss file at the courthouse? Um, it can be. Uh, if not, then you have, with this, you have created the grounds to go in and have it removed, whether you use a, a UCC form for that or however it's filed. Uh, but you have to create the evidence to support what you're doing, and this is what this does. Correct. You end up. Uh, I get that you keep doing it, doing everything in private, um, communicating communicating with them on the private. So then you build your own case. Right. So um, I use jelly beans in this case, but I this has actually been done before. I'm, I'm, the man who taught me about it was this is decades ago. Um, they sent him a bill with just numbers. And and he didn't even use a letter. He just went in with a baggie full of, I think it was 162.28 or something like that. So he went in with this, that number of sheep berries in a baggie and handed it to the clerk along with the bill. And they gave him a receipt and never bothered him with it again. So who got the worst deal? Who got the worst deal out of that? The county because they had to receive sheep berries or the man because he had to count them? Um, well, you know, it's a toss-up. Anyway, <laughs> option, option number two. There's a lot of ways this can go. 
If the total amount demanded is expressed as a string of numerical characters preceded by the dollar symbol, that's the S with the bar threat, without any other reference as to what the numbers relate to, then you can send them, uh, I'm using the same numbers here, 7,423 dollar symbols printed, printed on however many sheets of paper needed depending on the number of dollar symbols being demanded and the choice of font size. They can keep the chain, along with the letter containing the following statement. This is in response to the above reference notice of claim of demand for 7,422.65 with a dollar sign symbol in front of it against my property. Having diligently searched, that's all a repetition. Likewise, having diligently searched the statutes at large in the United States, I can find no law which legally defines the dollar symbol. And I put the dollar symbol in quote marks. Since no other medium of exchange was specified for this transaction, I assume the dollar symbol is what is being demanded. As an exercise of good faith in the interest of fair play, please find enclosed here with 7,423 dollar symbols in full satisfaction. Uh, we did that on a, uh, uh, with a bank on a foreclosure. It was like $150,000 signs. I think it took about 30 pages at 12-point font. And uh, the bank went away. They never, they were beginning the steps necessary to file a lawsuit for foreclosure. And we hit them with that, and they just went away. Never came back. Okay, what do you know about uh, mechanics lien? What? Mechanics lien. Oh, mechanics lien. Mm -hmm. um, uh, well, um, you have to, that varies a little bit, not much, but a little bit from state to state. Remember, anything to do with property, it always comes under state law. And mechanics lien, um, some states extend that to like a construction lien. Um, where there's goods and materials supplied, as well as labor. Uh, but it's basically a labor lien is what it is. Right. And labor is property. Labor is property. Okay. Let me throw something out. Um, someone ended up doing a mechanics lien on their home before they got foreclosed on, and then sheriff sale came. Uh, and went uh, uh, builder builder end up buying it, fixing it up now. Anyhow, in the meantime, they brought forth the mechanics lien, and to get the judge to sign off on the mechanics lien. Well, out of the blue, I don't know how many months that I would actually have to look at this. Um, when a new lawyer came along, and just made an unofficial copy of the, the land records, et cetera, um, said that they, the, the person had no standing, well, not standing, but um, they didn't, basically, they were just saying that uh, Wells Fargo was not served. Uh, you did not put, I, I don't even think they, I would, I shouldn't have brought this up because I really should have looked at the paperwork. Um, 
So I, I do apologize. But anyhow, um, the judge he ruled he ruled for Wells Fargo. Okay. Now this um, person was in that house for over thirty years. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's there's all kinds of tragic stories all from all over the country on this stuff. Yep. Um, Sad but true. And I'm not trying to minimize it, but that's that's life. I mean, that's what we're dealing with. Yep. Um, and you can't do it half-assed, and you can't do it ignorantly. Um, you can't solve a problem until you find until you can define what the problem is. So, um, and that's why I encourage people to write letters. And they say, well, I called them up. I said, and I have to tell them, don't call. Don't go down in person. Write letters. I agree with that. Fiction's and nine out, ten, nine, nine, nine out of ten, they do not answer. Well, Which is good. Like, so you keep it, constantly writing letters. Well, it, it really doesn't matter because... Uh, the premise is fictions, being fictions, have no memory other than their records. That's the only Correct. memory a fiction has. Correct. And you're dealing with fictions, whether they're corporations or courts or whatever you're dealing with. If it's a fiction, um, the only memory it has are the records. So you're creating a memory, and you're also demonstrating a good faith uh, attempt to resolve a problem or to settle a matter and that shuts the courts up because they can only deal with controversies. Correct. You always want to stay in, a, in a honor. Yeah. That's another way of expressing it. I don't encourage people to try to get cute or fancy with the language uh, because it's too easy. These attorneys and these judges, I call them bar maggots collectively. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. And I don't say that disparagingly either. It's for descriptive accuracy. Um, the um, if they want to take offense, that's their problem, not mine. Uh, they they're, they're going to test you, and it's very very easy to get tripped up. Um, one of the things. Okay. Is, Okay, go ahead, and then I have one more question, and then I'll mute out. Um, okay. What I what I t- used to do when I was doing a lot of litigating, uh, to the frustration of bar maggots, is um, if they sat there and didn't say anything, I, uh, I, I was helpless. I didn't have anything to work with. But the moment they opened their mouth, I don't care what they said. I could turn it 180 degrees on. <laughs> you have to be able to think quickly on your feet. Most people cannot do that, um, including a lot of bar maggots. Um, so, um, anyway, go ahead with your question. What do you know about void orders? Um, you can make a claim that it's void. But there's a difference between doing that and proving it. And I I like to I like to take the position that if you're going to avoid something like a judgment, um, you attack it by demanding 
production of the enabling authority empowered the court or whomever to make that judgment. Correct. And suppose uh, when you do that, you're still, they're not paying attention. Well, it's, it's like the tacit procuration thing. We learned, you know, we used to use tacit procurations. Uh, we did it with the Oregon Attorney General. I think it was Goldsmith or Goldstein or whatever his name was. He was governor later on. Um, Goldsmith or Dad, do you know? Do you remember? Uh, sounds familiar, but I can't say so. Well, he was the Attorney General, and then he was governor later on, but um, which is no surprise. Um, we did a task of procuration on him on a case, and he came back and uh, denied it. That's not how you um, deal with a task of procuration. The way you deal with it is you remove the authority to be a procurator. So um, when you're doing this stuff, you have to attack the authority by which they're operating. I agree with that. So the way I do that is I say, show me in the Constitution the enable where the enabling authority is that empowers this court or this uh, governmental agency or whatever um, to compel me to do or not do this. You always go back to the enabling authority. Show me the enabling authority. Correct, but suppose one they don't answer you, or two they just they're like on a fishing trip. They just throw out stuff that I don't want. To, actually, I don't even want to use the word fishing. They act stupid. Yeah, well, that's their problem because two ways to attack that, and that's what we've been discussing over the last few weeks, is the schedule of fees and charges. Is that okay? Correct. You want to play that game? It's going to cost you a thousand dollars a minute. I'm doing that right now with a um, a um, parking ticket. Yeah. I got one already dropped. Uh, it was parked in a new parking zone. I got that one dropped, and now I'm getting uh, with the um, meter. Right. And I'm billing them every month, and now they end up giving giving it <laughs> the case to um, a debt collector, which we all know we all know is a third debt collector. Right. You don't have no first-hand knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I also wrote on on my, um, when they first gave me the ticket, I wrote to them. I said, can you prove that, uh, I, I, or, I'm sorry, I was not in commerce. I was not for hire. Okay. Please where, where discharge. You, if you don't mind me asking, where are you located? Two different states, Pennsylvania and Jersey. Oh, okay. Um, I'll give you a story out of Oregon and actually out of Portland, Oregon. Um, so Ted ought to appreciate this one, too. Um, there was a fellow by the name, he was a retired Marine, a uh, 20-year vet. His name was Laverne Hollenbeck. And he got a parking ticket, uh, which told him he had to show up or pay to the municipal court Multnomah County, Portland Municipal Court. And so what he did was, and back in those days, they uh, they just had pipes that, you, that were threaded and they screwed into a base and the 
meter screwed into the top of the pipe. And so he went down to the court, this little muni court, and he said, I want a subpoena. And the clerk says, I'm not sure we have those. And he says, well, if you don't get them from the um, um, district court or the circuit court, whatever. And so they did. They got some subpoenas, and yeah, they filled them out. And he says, I, I want a subpoena um, in a uh, witness. They asked him. I said, okay. So he took the uh, subpoenas, and he had two of them filled out identical. He didn't want to get charged with theft. And he went down to the parking meter that he got the ticket on, wrapped one of the um, subpoenas around the pipe, taped it on or whatever, so that he could prove that he wasn't stealing the uh, meter. Took a big pipe wrench, and he unscrewed the meter. Uh, this is on the day he was supposed to show up in court. And he took the meter down with the other subpoena and went into the court and they called his name and he handed the subpoena to the uh, clerk and it had meter number whatever as the uh, witness. And the <clears throat> judge says, what's this? And he took the meter and he set it in the witness chair and he said, swear in the witness. This is, my, this is the witness against me. I have some questions. <laughs> And the judge just missed the case. Beautiful. Huh? Beautiful. <laughs> so there's there's always ways of doing things. Um, I've had some pretty good instructors along the way. Okay, and I'm gonna end you with this, and then I'm gonna mute out. Um, your caller last week, he was saying about being evicted. I also, on Pennsylvania, I got evicted. They claimed that I had 16 pages of weapons registered to my house. I'm sorry, it was 16 pages, over 60 uh, guns registered in my house. That's how they were able to get the local uh, the cops there because they cannot do anything civil. They can only do it criminal. Or the right. police of police of um, the chief of police hates my guts. We had a run in about twenty five years ago, and I proved him wrong. And ever since then, he was out to get me. So okay. that's where he ended up taking his opportunity. I, I'm guessing somehow it, it's a bogus because I only got seven pages, and <laughs> they won't release the other sixteen pages because it's all bogus. It's all lies. But on the seven pages I got, there was only three guns registered to my house. Okay? Yeah. So the day of the eviction, the the local cops came. Again, you cannot, local cops cannot come there as a, on a civil matter. And then it has to go back to the uh, chief of police who hates me. There was over on the sheriff's department, there was over, easily over 25 Shields, rifles, guns, drawn. Uh-huh. Then they had the moving van. Then they had a drone. Seriously? Um, well, was this involving you? 
Yes, it was my home. Oh, okay. Well, I think I would have probably said um, um, any any man that requires that amount of backup isn't much of a man as far as I'm concerned. Okay, well, it's it's already done with. I'm just telling you what happened that day. Yeah. Oh, actually, they end up handcuffing my son. He was actually loading up my truck in the driveway. They yeah. threw him on the driveway and handcuffed him. Then my boyfriend was out on the on the sidewalk, and he's he's an Italian, so he talks. He's Irish and Italian, so he talks mm-hmm. with his hands, and then he puts his hands in his pocket. So my son's watching my boyfriend, and he's constantly, you know, like, you're just a fiction. He's just throwing out just different shit, not knowing what he's saying. But right. behind my house, on the side of the house, they had at least four guys with rifles pointed at him, mm-hmm. ready to shoot. And my son started yelling, Joe, keep quiet, shut up, blah, blah, blah. And the officer, couple, well, one officer was telling my son, you shut the F up. He says, no, right. you shut the F up. I'm trying to control this situation. I am not going to be laying here and seeing him get killed. Right. I mean, this this shit has gotten out of control. Okay, now one one thing that the other thing that I've talked about more recently, and I'm still working out the nuts and bolts on the interface on it, but it's, we're we're pretty close to having it finished, and I think I have the initial one already posted with Tad, and that's a writ of coerento. Writ of coerento will take somebody out of office. We gotta do something here. We have to. They're out of control. And what was funny, I was given as a the the uh, police chief and his little sidekicks were in my house for over forty five minutes securing my house. I said, I told the main sheriff, I said, he's not securing my house. He's in there freaking robbing or whatever he can take. I know the guy. Right. But anyhow, in the meantime. One officer was giving my son a hard time after they un- un- uncuffed him and blah, blah, blah. So I was actually, I had a couple of officers around me, and I was explaining to them what was going on. And I was giving the codes on Pennsylvania. Look at code this, look at the code, whatever the codes were. I said, you're just nothing but a Walmart. You're a private corporation. Look, look at code, and I gave them a section. Look it up. I said also when a, when when someone when a bank so called bank goes and repossess they re- they repossess the vehicle so therefore why can't Wells Fargo get their damn house bricks and stones off my land because they cannot own land they can only own so called own the home which we also know that's a bogus loan. <clears throat> Well, okay, um, Tad? Yeah? <clears throat> I can give you another fairly quick story about Laverne Hollenbeck. It was summertime, and he had three federal officers show up, U.S. Marshals show up uh, in front of his house, and he had uh, he had the screen door, or his door was open, but the screen door was shut because it was summertime. And it was latched, so 
it was not it couldn't be opened. They uh he always kept a twelve gauge riot gun next to the door. And he wasn't afraid to use it, being ex Marine and all that. And uh they came up to the door and they said, Are you Laverne they talked to him through the screen door and he said, Are you Laverne Hollenbeck? And he said, Who's asking? So they identified themselves as US Marshals. He said, you are outside your lawful venue. They said, well, are you Laverne Hollenbeck? He said, I'm telling you the second time, you are outside your lawful venue. And, um, we, well, we just want to know uh, if you're Laverne Hollenbeck or something like that. He reached down and grabbed the 12-gauge. He didn't point it at him. He just jacked, he just reached down and grabbed it and jacked a shell into it and said, I'm telling you the third and final time, you are outside your lawful venue. They left and never came back. Not recommended. Well, it worked. <laughs> no, I, I agree with that. I mean, there were some mistakes I made that day. Because one I, one, I was scared. Two, I mean, all you got to do, actually, when they come there, they're only a guest. They, they don't have jurisdiction, period. And the court order is not a race seal, nor does, nor does it have um, the clerk court seal, nor does it have the wet ink signature from the ju- so-called judge. So I was, like, scared because I, oh, as I'm hearing all this stuff that's going on, that they had my kids handcuffed and all these rifles and guns pointed at everyone, I was scared. But I also, at the same time, I wanted to say, hey, hey, guys, three times, you're a guest. You trespassed. I mean, there was many things I could have said, but I, I, I went silent. But in, after that, that's when I started telling these guys, these cops, sheriff's department, and actually I got through to this one who was very cocky to my son. I want to see everything that you put in that truck. And then after he started listening to me, he left my son put anything into that truck. Yeah. They know what's going on. And actually, a couple of cops were talking to my son. We know what's going on. My son was like, well, then why are you still working for this? For a paycheck? For a pension? Really? So so if I can ask you, what, what can we do for you about this? Oh, I just, I'm sorry, Ted. I am, right. I'm very sorry. I wanted just to... That's I just wanted to end that with people with eviction. Um, I know. Please study. Please understand what's going on, and please know what to say. And I'll end it. I'll end with that salt. Thank you very much. Well, a frustrating story, without a doubt. So, do you have any final thoughts on that, Monty? Um, only one. Okay. I, I do react to bullies who hide behind a badge. I got a real problem with that mentality. And, um, I think I have said on two or three occasions to those individuals, not under, but I have told them, uh, just remember this. I know where you live. And you have to sleep sometime. Mm-hmm. 
Again, not recommended. That well, that's just me. That's my personal <laughs> right. Thing. And I got, and I got, I'm the host, so I have to clarify things. <laughs> the opinions of the guests are not necessarily the opinions of the host. Right. Well, I don't recommend that to anyone else. In fact, what I do recommend, um, since so many people are operating out of ignorance, is try your best to educate them. Okay. I think we're going to go back for one final question for the year. With uh, Genevieve, and we got to make this quick, Genevieve, because we're going to wrap it up. It's getting kind of long. I think I'm losing my phone, so make it quick. Thank you, Tad. Okay, here's my He's question. Not kidding. Here's my question. <laughs> what is the lawful venue of the U.S. Marshals? <laughs> uh, post um, forts, docks, arsenals, and other needful buildings, post offices, courthouses, purchased by the federal government. They have no jurist. They have no venue outside of that. Oh, okay. Okay, well, uh, I think that's it. All right. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Thank you very much for you, an incredible year of 2016. You guys are awesome. Uh, if you're not already a member of youhavetheright.com, go join. Uh, that helps to support us so that we can bring you these uh, informational calls, and we really appreciate it. So, and Monty, you too. Happy uh, New Year to you. All right. Merry Christmas and all of that. Thank you, and, Monty. And yeah. we will see you guys back in 2017. Okay. So thank you very much, everyone. Good night. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.